This is Suno India Production. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now. Hello listeners. It's great to have you back on Becoming Modern Healthcare and History in India. This is episode 5 of the podcast. I had mentioned in the inaugural episode that on this podcast we will be talking about not just history but also historians. The episode today is very much about historians. In fact, we go right into the basics. We will look at how people decide to pursue history as a professional degree. How does a young person, especially in the educational context of India, come to think that they would like to get trained in history in our country and in fact in most other parts of the world it is not very common to hear a kid or a teenager say that they want to study history in college or want to become a historian when they grow up life is a race after all and we are told that subjects like history will never help us reach the finishing line whatever it is don't forget कि हर साल आईसी में 4 लाख एप्लीकेशंस आते हैं और उनमें से सिर्फ 200 सेलेक्ट होते हैं यू और ये फिनिश्ड ब्रोकन एग्स मेरे खुद के बेटे ने 3 साल अप्लाई किया था रिजेक्टेड एवरी टाइम रिमेंबर लाइफ इज अ रेस आई एम अ हिस्टोरियन नाउ but history was never on the career horizon for me until much later and that too only through a combination of multiple random incidents but that's probably not the case for many others and i was curious to know how young people come to the realization that they want to go into history and academic research so i asked that question to several historians and since these historians were studying the history of medicine and healthcare I also asked them what brought them to those particular subjects. Not surprisingly, there was a wide diversity in the pathways which people took. Professor Nandini Bhattacharya, for example, was not looking to go into history when she started her undergrad, but she changed her mind after being inspired by some great history teachers at her college. It's very rarely we get to talk actually of ourselves. it seems like a bit of a luxury um my first uh, undergraduate degree was in history was from ms university of baroda gujarat and at that time that that was a fine department and uh, department of history and there um i had not specifically chosen history of my major we were allowed to choose in our second year of undergraduate studies so i had chosen a host of other social science subjects and i history was just something because history i think was and continues to be taught very badly in indian schools and so i wasn't interested at all it's just something i took up because i had to take another subject apart from english and political science subjects i was really interested in but our teachers were truly inspirational and uh, they ta- they taught us how it's important to learn about the past how it's you know how it's important that as an entire society not 
forget or erase its past. And what terrible things can happen if societies do that. And in fact, th this was in um, late 1980s, 91, I mean, uh, so uh, it was also the time when uh, there were events in Gujarat and in India more generally, where erasures of past or recreations of past were gaining momentum. And uh, so I could see the immediacy, the urgency of these questions as well. And I think more than anything, more than anything else, that appealed to me, the fact that these erasures are happening and there is something I can do in the imme immediately by reading history, by writing about it, perhaps by teaching it, uh, uh, you know, to, to have a more holistic idea of history, to use historical methodologies rather than simple prejudice to understand what our past is about. So uh, after I did my uh, master's and MPhil in Delhi, I had had enough of cities and I wanted to go, uh, you know, I just wanted to go to a more remote place and to be able to teach in a modest college and just, uh, it was, it was, I think, a way of, uh, of finding out more about India and, uh, and of places that, you know, we who grew up in the mega cities in India wouldn't have a very clear idea of. So I went to Darjeeling and uh, I, uh, in, in West Bengal, I went in for the West Bengal College Service Commission and I said I don't want it in Calcutta. I remember they were shocked at the interview because nobody ever says that we don't want it in Calcutta. And so, I, I, I mean, uh, so they were really shocked. And I remember the chairperson also uh, told one of the professors in Calcutta, whom I knew, uh, said that, will you persuade her not to do that uh, later on? He said that she had asked for that. And that professor said, no, no, Nandini, she is mad. If she, if she says she is not staying in Calcutta and going away somewhere, then she is going to do that. No point in uh, trying to persuade her. So I went there and it was, of course, it, it, it was a lesson for me in many ways of understanding how, how marginalized our provinces are or even, our, our, even the cities in, 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 in the states are, how, how starved of resources especially educational resources. And West Bengal is one of the richer ones in this respect, because at that time, the government changed soon afterwards, but at that time, the left front government had, had, an, had been in power for some 30 odd years. And it had, an, it had a motivation, it had a promise of a college every two kilometers. It didn't quite fulfill that, but there were colleges. The point is that that's the difference between uh, the rhetoric and the actual implementation. There may have been a college, but uh, there were few. Uh, there were few lecturers and even fewer resources. So, uh, and the demand was tremendous for some kind. And I used to, yeah. So there were. I still taught in one of the better colleges there, but I, I used to feel very sad for the students that they thought that what they're getting is actually an education, because in Baroda which was, even at that time, I think it was about 10th ranking in India. But uh, in, in Baroda, I had a much better education. And just because we were located, you know, a little closer, it's a richer state or that kind of reason. But also I noticed something very strange. It was one of the, I, I myself got pneumonia and almost died. That's when I left. After a year and a half, I didn't, I didn't stay on. But... Uh, 
I noticed that it was in colonial period, it was meant to be a health resort. But it in statistically in West Bengal, Darjeeling and the entire district was one of the worst in time in terms of not just access to hospitals, but in terms of every single uh, every single you know uh, infant mortality rate, you know uh, women's health, nutrition rate in every possible uh, meter, it was way below way below in any statistics, uh, even in West Bengal, which doesn't do very well in these either. So and so I was wondering about the duality. How is it that at one time this this city, this town rather, hill town had a lot of money. It was the second capital. In effect, it was a capital of uh, the province for eight months in the year. How is it huge number, exactly huge number of tea plantations where also a lot of capital was poured in. So how is it that there was this kind of a huge discrepancy in health services between here and even, um, forget about Calcutta, even the, the city, the main city down below in Seligui, much better. I mean, the, the the lady who cleaned my house, my cleaning lady's uh, uh, daughter died because she couldn't afford to take her down to Seligori for, for treatment. And the Darjeeling hospital just, just couldn't do anything for her. And uh, so, yeah, so when I came with, uh, when I applied for a scholarship in London, so that was my project, to understand how a place, you know, to understand geography, environment, how healthcare takes place, in a, in a very regional kind of a place. I didn't realize then that it would lead me to think about tropical medicine much more broadly than I had ever imagined. Azadi <laughs> हम भावी नारे लगाते रहे इनकलाब जिंदाबाद तबाक की दाढ़ी थी अगर मेरी दाढ़ी होती तो मुझे कंधे पे गोली थोड़ी लगती बालों में घुस के तो गुम हो जाती पैशनेट टीचर्स डू चेंज लाइव्स इन मेनी वेज इंक्लूडिंग सेटिंग अस ऑन अ पाथ दैट वी नेवर इमेजिन वी वुड एंजॉय टेकिंग व्हेन आई वाज इन मेडिकल कॉलेज I knew people who in the first year would say that they wanted to pursue, for example, surgery and would by the end decide to pursue internal medicine or OBGY, mainly because they had developed a strong interest in that subject due to a professor's inspiring teaching of it. Dr. Shilpi Rajpal, who studies the history of psychiatry and mental health, also alluded to being influenced by good teachers. I was interested in history uh, from almost my teenage for some, you know, reasons. And I do remember having almost a crush on Tipu Sultan. I know it's funny, but yeah, that is how it was. So I was fascinated by history. I remember from my eighth standard. But of course, it wasn't a plan that I will become a historian. But by the time I finished my 12th standard, I remember my teachers telling that she will only study history and not anything else. So, yeah, they were aware that, you know, how much they try to persuade me, I will, uh, you know, more be passionate about history. And I had a wonderful teacher. So I think teachers do make, uh, you know, they do shape you 
when you are that young so i had a fantastic you know teacher even at the school level and then at my bachelor's level i did take history honors and i went to venkateshwara college but i had again brilliant set of teachers who again shaped me into who i am i must mention here that i was also fortunate to have had fabulous history teachers in school and like in the case of a lot of us history was a topic that always fascinated me so when i was in medical college in pune in the mid 2000s i occasionally went to the city's famous street bookstalls along with friends and would buy different kinds of books including popular history books then later in life i began reading more serious stuff and particularly liked romila thapar's wonderful book on early indian history now professor thapar as we know is an outstanding and formidable scholar of indian history and culture and since in this episode we are delving into the lives of historians i will mention here that when i was reading thapar's 2014 book titled the past as present i came across a very lovely anecdote on her childhood that she mentioned in the preface to her book she recounted how on the very first independence day of india in 1947 she was in high school and had given a speech to mark the occasion it was when i read this fun anecdote some years back that i began to think or began to become more interested in learning about the stories and lives of historians and other academic scholars luckily while working on the current episode i came across an interview of professor thapar in which she talked about how she became a historian we accessed this interview hosted by ishan sharma on the youtube channel of karwan the heritage exploration initiative and we are excited to share a short excerpt from it here we have also included the link to the full video in the episode description the second impetus in my life was was much more personal in the sense that it was around that time when i left school and i was waiting to join college and in those days of course school leaving was in december you took the exam in december and the university opened in june or july so you had a six month gap and i was greatly looking forward to having a six month vacation i mean this was going to be a godsend i would do all kinds of things that i had wanted to do and never been able to do and so on and read the kinds of books that i couldn't read because i was reading textbooks uh what my mother used to call story books but this was actually good literature but she was very contemptuous of reading novels for example and one had to explain that this was not just a, a mills and boon type of novel but this was something serious but in the course of this my father developed an interest in uh, classical art indian classical art and he started reading heavy tomes you know gopinath rao and jain banerjee and all these people Uh, in order to understand it and then one fine day he said to me i can't be reading all this on by myself why don't you also read these books and then in the evening when i come back from office we can have a little discussion on what you read so who was i to say no i don't want to read these books and i started reading them and the end result of course was that 
we started talking about these things and I got vaguely interested in the Indian past and the early Indian past at that. Now, um, you had mentioned earlier that you were interested in uh, what did I learn and what did I unlearn from this experience? I mean, the, the rest of it is, is fairly straightforward in the sense that I, I did my, finally, I did my honors through Shimla because my father was transferred from Pune where I was in school and college. And it did, I did it in literature. So when I went to the School of Oriental and African Studies in London, they said, you can't do any research in history because your honors degree is in literature. So I had to repeat my degree and I did history honors at London and then I went on. And by the time I finished that and started thinking of the possibility of doing a PhD, I was hooked to being a historian and to being an academic. There was no looking back. Professor Thapar said that the quest to know our past better was what hooked her to history as a discipline and a career choice. Now, knowing and understanding the past of one's own community and region and also of humanity and of the universe is a very fundamental human desire and motivation. So one would think that many young people would aspire to researching and teaching history. But as the stories recounted in this episode have shown, at least in the case of India, this is seldom the case. Professor Projit Bihari Mukherjee offers yet another example, telling us how he entered history and then the history of healthcare, taking a kind of a circuitous tangential route. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. And I would say that I think one of the unfortunate things in India is that we get tracked so quickly in our education system uh, before you even know how to spell some of these subjects, you have to decide, are you in the sciences or in the arts or whatever? And like every other Indian, I was in, like doing PCMB in high school uh, and to get into and writing all these joint entrance exams and stuff. Um, but I was never really very interested in all that. I was interested and in, my father was a lawyer. I was, so he wanted me to be a lawyer. Uh, all my friends were, trying to be engineers or doctors. I was also thinking I wasn't entirely decided on what to do. And then at one point, um, I got very interested in philosophy. So, uh, and that I got interested in, basically I was doing the sciences, but I was interested in why do we believe in this and not in other things. And like uh, those kind of big questions, very precociously seemed to matter. <laughs> and I um, enrolled for a philosophy degree uh, in my undergrad. Uh, so I, I actually did my bachelor's in philosophy, uh, which was, I realized after I got in that everybody thought it was a terrible choice. And they're like, why did, did you do so badly in your boards that you didn't get anything else? <laughs> so, but I, and the philosophy syllabus in Calcutta University was also very bad time that it was very very it was not something that was it people did it because it helped you score higher in UPSC exams or various reasons but not because they were interested in the subject so by the time I ended the my bachelor's then another that we had some seniors that I went to presidency college in Calcutta we had some seniors who were in history who were then saying that oh you know history is where 
these kind of questions are now being asked. And so uh, I was introduced to Michel Foucault's work in college by some seniors like this. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. This is what I really thought philosophy would be doing rather than memorizing a lot of theories of old Greeks and Indian philosophers. So then I applied to JNU because JNU was one of the few places at that time where you could, uh, you didn't need to, for a master's, you didn't need to have your bachelor's in that subject. You could be like, you could apply for um, anything. And there were even doctors who applied to do uh, history MA. And then there was an open admission test. So um, I I did well in the admission test, got in. And then I loved the JNU history program and kind of, but then got more and more specific about history of science and then went from there. The other thing I realized is that when I, this is 20 years back, when I was going through college and university in India, like his, there were very strong um schools of historiography within history. So there was this subaltern study school, which was coming up. There was something called New Cambridge School. There was a nationalist school. There was Marxism. And what I was fascinated by that all these schools, one thing they agreed on usually is they criticized colonialism, mostly. I mean, Cambridge didn't, but most of the others, nationalists, subalternists, Marxists, they all criticized colonialism. But the one aspect of colonialism nobody criticized was the science and medicine bit. The only thing they said was they didn't give enough of it. So you would have good Marxist historians saying the main fault of colonialism was they didn't introduce enough of biomedicine to us, enough of science to us, that it was too limited. So it was not a bad thing. It was it was this like we should have been made more modern, but we weren't made more modern. So it was so that was the bit that I thought was the really okay, this nobody wants to criticize. So is it really such a good thing? And then um I remember in two courses that I took in JNU were completely transformational for me. One was Niladri Bhattacharya's course, and he had a little bit on history of medicine where I first read David Arnold. Um, and colonizing the body. And I was like, okay, this guy is saying something else now. Like, this is the first time that I've seen that he's not talking in terms of, is it a good, should we have more of it or not? But he's talking about it in relation to how colonial power worked. And that this was actually not just introduced out of some philosophical goodness of the heart of some Englishmen, but because they needed it for their roots. So that was one. And then there was another course I took with uh, Professor Majid Siddiqui. Um, and in that, he, his course was called Colonial Isms in the plural. And then he had different sections where we were like thinking of, uh, like how does colonial power actually work and how in different areas. So in literature, it works in one way. In science, it works in another way. In say, in actual administration, it works in one way. Before that, I always thought like colonialism was this just basically the political process. But I realized there's a much bigger, like, cultural, epistemic, whatever you call it, that those processes, and they're not all exactly the same. They have to be studied in their particularities. Um, so, yeah, that's how I got to history of medicine. Uh, and I, I would say one other thing, that one other thing that intrigued me was I, I was mentioning that when I was an undergrad, uh, I got... Mm, 
interest that's when i learned that you can do this kind of thing in history history is not just about kings and queens and battles and things so um and that one of my seniors who had told me that he had got a road scholarship to go to oxford and so he was like okay can you uh, i don't know when i'll be able to come back from oxford so i want to like get all the material possible with me copy it so he said like couple of us his friends he said would you help me out like uh, copying all the material from these old newspapers and that's the first time i actually saw newspapers that were 100 200 years old and not 200 but 100 year old newspapers from like 1880s 1890s and what i was surprised by is that if you look at any newspaper from eight, that period 1870s 80s the front page is full of advertisements and most of those advertisements are medicine advertisements and they are all mostly their advertisements of some kind of like a lot of them are have to do with sexual health and i was in my mind when i thought of like 1880s i didn't think the first thing people saw in the newspaper was ads about virility on the front page so i also got like really intrigued with medicine for that was another reason it was on in my mind अगर आपके दांत मजबूत नहीं है तो आप रोटी को चबा कर नहीं खा सकते और अगर आप चबा कर रोटी नहीं खाएंगे तो आपको बदजमी होगी आप बीमार होंगे कमजोर होंगे और अगर आप कमजोर होंगे तो कौम कमजोर होगी और अगर कौम कमजोर होगी तो दुश्मन हमारे देश पर कब्जा कर लेंगे हम फिर गुलाम बना लिए जाएंगे इसलिए अगर आप भारत की आजादी को कायम रखना चाहते हैं अपनी कौम को मजबूत बनाना चाहते हैं तो अपने दर्दों की हिफाजत कीजिए उन्हें रोज सवेरे मेरे ईजाद किए हुए चांद सूरज मंजन के साथ रगड़ के साफ कीजिए ये मंजन आपके दांतों को चांद और सूरज की तरह रोशन कर देगा एक शीशी के दाम चारों ने सिर्फ now while it is true that for a good number of historians history or even an academic career was something they began thinking of seriously only much later there are some scholars for whom it was a natural choice like professor sanjay bhattacharya with whose story we will be concluding our episode today i have been surrounded as i grew up uh by many academics some from the family but some neighbors uh uh they were history professors they were history researchers uh my own aunt uh my mother's sister was married to a historian um she was an economist herself but she was married to a historian and because i got very interested in several historical topics uh my uncle and my aunt would encourage that interest and buy me books and buy you know get me uh, photostats at that time of of different articles that they had read and then you know two houses away from where i grew up uh was a wonderful historian who till recently was teaching at jnu at the center for historical studies professor kunkum roy and uh, she, she she works on ancient history uh, i was always more interested in modern history but but she would always also help me uh, think about history critically um so th- this was happening when i was not in high school this was all happening when i was in primary school where i was being forced to think about history in critical ways it wasn't just descriptive you know they were constantly forcing me to think about concepts interpretations so from a very early age i've been aware of the subjectivities of historical narratives uh 
And so when I reached high school, uh, uh, I could have gone into sciences because I think many in my family would have liked me to have gone into sciences. But I was quite adamant by the time I joined high school that I wanted to do history in university. And there, I think I was lucky because my maternal grandmother and grandfather who brought me up were very encouraging. Uh, they did not think I would be a failure if I did history. So they allowed me the space to study history. I by that time I had a fantastic uh, uh, high school teacher, uh, Dilruba Kalsi. I'll never forget her, and and she explained to me that you know there were two ways of doing history. One was for the board exams, and one was just for the love of history. So she taught me both how to answer the board exam question and do well so that I could get into a good college. But at the same time, she would also pander to my general interest in history and. My lovely Didi Bhai, Kum Kum Royan, uh, two houses away. She was also very open-minded. She said, you know, you can use your history degree, you can go into creative writing. So I was very fortunate, you know, in the sense that from a very early age, even at the time when India was not liberalized, the view I had uh, of life was that I can do multiple things with my historical skills if I study properly and learn the things you know, how to think critically, how to write well. Uh, so that was the attitude. So uh, career-wise, I had no clarity in my head. Uh, all I knew that I wanted to study history and I loved history. When I first heard about Professor Bhattacharya's journey into history, I was struck by how uncommon his kind of a story is. But I was also aware that it is uncommon not so much because young people are uninterested in studying and researching history, but more because while growing up, most young persons do not usually have academic scholars in their immediate vicinity or in the everyday conversations around them. Besides, the kinds of role models most kids and teenagers are exposed to belong to a very narrow set of professions and academic work has historically been excluded from that. But through both this podcast and other podcasts on Suno India and different other platforms, as well as through video channels like Carvan, which we mentioned earlier, young people today are getting an opportunity to learn more about the lives and work and individual personalities of academic historians and other scholars. I really hope that this kind of exposure ushers in a better outlook in India's young towards academic scholarship. I also hope that these new developments help drive home the importance of serious research in all aspects of history, taking us beyond our usual obsession with kings, emperors, wars, and battles, etc. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Becoming Modern, Healthcare and History in India. We will be back soon with our next episode. Goodbye. Sekandar ne poras se ki thi ladai Jo ki thi ladai To mein kya karun Jo kaurav ne pandav Se ki hatha paai Jo ki hatha paai To mein kya karun Sekandar ne poras से की थी लड़ाई जो की थी लड़ाई तो मैं क्या 
Thank you for listening to this episode. You can now listen to all our episodes on our Android and iPhone app. Download it now.